Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. time ago in a galaxy far far away a skywalker rose the dead speak and now so does jim jim let the hatred flow through you tell us about the rise of skywalker this is for me a deeply disappointing movie in and of itself and a very unsatisfying conclusion to both the trilogy and the saga. I think we've both seen the movie three times. The first time I saw the movie, I fucking hated it. The second time I saw the movie, I allowed myself to ignore everything I don't like and just literally watch it for the fan service nostalgia. (laughs) So the second time, I actually partially enjoyed it because I ignored all the things I don't like about it. The third time I saw the movie... I was very apathetic. I was very empty. It didn't move me in either direction. There are a few things I found that were good about the movie, so I'm not full Darth Hater. There are a few good things, a lot of bad things, and I have a few things that I think are just downright ugly about this movie. I am full-on fanboying on this one. I think I am going to kick back and fight you against everything that you have as bad, although I do kind of agree with your uglies. Since you're choosing to be fanboy, you have basically chosen to lose. Congratulations. Great kid! Don't get cocky! This is Jim with an editor's note. As you might imagine, the raw recording of our discussion about Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker went on for quite a long time. So we decided to split our discussion into three parts. Yes, we're making a trilogy of episodes about the third movie in the third trilogy. In this episode, part one, we will focus on the things that I found good about The Rise of Skywalker, as well as talk about one of its most common criticisms, namely that some people who do not like the movie think that it retcons The Last Jedi. Part two will focus on most of the things that I found bad about The Rise of Skywalker, and as Mike alluded to earlier, He'll be providing the counterpoint and basically fighting back pretty much on all of the things that I find bad about the movie. The third and final part of our three-part series will conclude with the remainder of my bad list and my list of things that I think are truly ugly about The Rise of Skywalker, and then our final conclusion and metaphorical ratings. Even though it probably goes without saying, I will say it anyway. If you proceed past this point, you will hear spoilers. (laughs) So, without further ado, let's jump into part one 
of our epic discussion about Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. There were some good moments of cinematography in this movie. There were some things that were done really well. Yeah, this movie looked great. It's one of the weakest compliments I can give any movie because nowadays the filmmaking technology has been advanced so much and so much money is invested in this movie. It would be weird that it didn't look good, but there are definitely some good pieces of cinematography. The watery Death Star scene, beautiful cinematography Mm -hmm. in that scene. Some of the lightsaber battles, not all of them, but some of them had some interesting cinematography choices that made those look more vibrant and impressive. I liked how it still looked like it was in the Star Wars universe. It didn't look as real-life cartoony as the prequel trilogy. It it looked like it fit in with the original trilogy. It was still the same world, and I really liked how they did that. But it was also more vibrant at the same time. Yes, it was a very vibrant movie. I can't fault it on that level of artistic expression. And I really want to point out, too, what they've been doing with Kylo Ren's lightsaber, I think they really made it look even more awesome in this one, how it kind of just flickered and it wasn't a clean blade. It was very sporadic. They turned it up to 11 on this one, I think. There's a couple close-up shots of it that I don't know if anybody else really paid attention to it, but I did. I really liked how they made it look. And they also made good use of the side blades, Mm -hmm. the little hilt thing. It looked more decorative in the other movies. It actually served a purpose in some of the lightsaber battles. So yes, the lightsaber was much better done. One of the reasons why I think fondly of the prequels is how much better the lightsabers look versus the original trilogy. Because again, filmmaking technology. And it wasn't two 80-year-olds trying to have a lightsaber battle. Exactly. My other part of the good is this movie is peppered with nostalgic fan service moments, some of them are good. I'm a big Billy D. Williams fan. I loved seeing Lando back, and the actor looked like he was having a blast. He was having fun being in the movies again. I don't know if he even knew he was in the movie. <laughs> I actually did not like it at all. What? You are going to push back on one of my goods by saying you don't like Lando? Yeah, I didn't like Lando in this because I, I felt like he was just really high. <laughs> and he just did the same thing <laughs> over and over. Well, I'm not saying his scenes were good. I just enjoyed seeing him again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, was... I'm not saying that he, he served a good purpose in this movie. It was cool for me to see him again. It goes by so quick and it was dorky. But just hearing Darth Vader's voice briefly, I liked that. It goes by really quick on Exegol when the Emperor's doing um, every voice you've ever heard in your head, and we briefly get a James Earl Jones Darth Mm -hmm. Vader thing. I'm always going to like anything I see of Vader or hear of Vader. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I agree. The full context was kind of stupid, but I like that Chewie got a medal. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people were freaking out about that, and good or bad, talking about how Chewie finally got his medal and whether that was fan service or not. I think they made it make sense. Leia was holding Han's medal when she passed away, and so Maz took that medal that was Han's medal and gave it to Chewie as memorabilia. Here's something to remember them by. It wasn't going, oh, you earned this 30 years ago. Here, now you can have it. It was, hey, here's Han's medal that he got from Leia. Here's how you remember the two people you've loved the most in your life. The other, like, sort of nostalgic fan service, but not like a reference to in the movie, 
is the fact that when they were at the festival on Pasana, 3PO says, this only happens once every 42 years, which was an in-joke to 42 years ago is when A New Hope debuted. So it was a nice little acknowledgement to the history of Star Wars stretching back 42 years, and this being sort of a celebration of the end of the Skywalker saga. So a different type of nostalgic moment, but I did appreciate that. That makes sense. I I wasn't even thinking that direction. And so when they said 42 years, I was like, that is oddly specific. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I didn't even realize this the first time I saw the movie, that Kylo Ren is on Mustafar at when? the beginning of the movie. No. He is. It's explained in the supporting material. Where he goes to get the Sith Wayfinder is the remains of Darth Vader's castle on Mustafar, and it's Vader's cultists or something that he's fighting. It goes by way too quick. You see the planet Mustafar, and it's gone. But I didn't really make the connection until the Star Wars Visual Dictionary, the supporting companion book that came out with the movie, explained that that was Mustafar, and that's where they were going, and that's where he was actually invading was the remains of Vader's castle. Hmm. I just wish that that had been made more explicit, that that's where they were. Because again, I liked, like I said before, I liked hearing Darth Vader's voice. I would have liked a little bit more Darth Vader yeah, that would have been castle. Later, we're going to talk about a lot of the stuff that people are kicking back on this movie about, about Last Jedi versus Skywalker. And to me, just real briefly... I felt like Last Jedi just kind of ran the story into the ground, and this movie had to kind of pick it back up and try to run with it, with where it was. And I think details like that, if the story was more cohesive between the movies, they would have had the time to actually explain that and go into that. That's the one thing that really upsets me about this trilogy, is that lack of overall story. But we'll get to that later. We will. Like One of my common criticisms for the entire trilogy is there's a lot of wasted screen time, especially in The Last Jedi. Half of that movie is just a, a complete waste of valuable screen time. I wish we could have taken back some of the wasted screen time in this movie and dwelled a little bit more on some of those things. I have mixed feelings about the way the movie ends, but as a Luke Skywalker fanboy, I did kind of like seeing the Lars Homestead one last time. I don't know if it really made much sense, but it was kind of cool to see the Lars yeah. Homestead one last time and having the closing frame being her standing there silhouetted against the two sons was a nice artistic touch. Well, that knit the saga ends at the same place it began. Right. So a nice resonance there. And again, it made me remember my favorite character and that. So I, I like that moment. We'll talk about the end of the movie later, but I did like that aspect. And it's weird for me to mention this now because I'm going to complain about it later. Hearing the voices of the other Jedi at the end of the movie, I'm going to complain about it later because I couldn't tell who was saying it and what was being said. These are your final steps, Ray. Rise and take them. Ray. 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 Bring back the balance, Ray, as I did. In the night, find the light, Ray. Every Jedi who ever lived lives in you. The Force surrounds you, Ray. Let it guide you. Feel the Force flowing through you, Ray. Let it lift you. Rise, Ray. We stand behind you, Ray. In the heart of a Jedi lies her strength. Ray, the Force will be with you. 
always. I've seen the movie three times and I've heard some of them, so I did like hearing their voices. I wish I could have also seen them as Force Ghosts. Yeah. You know what, what I actually find interesting? So I, the three times I saw the movie, I saw it in three different theaters. The first time I saw it, I actually heard it the best. It seemed like it was theater-specific. The first time I saw it, I picked out almost every single voice and knew exactly what they said. The second time, we actually, the second time we saw it together, we saw it at a 40X theater, and I was so distracted by the 40X parts of it that I think I missed half the movie. And then, actually, I guess we saw it together the third time, too, in preparation for this, and that theater, I barely heard any of those voices. I was trying to listen, and I just couldn't pick it out. The only ones that I heard two out of the three times, I didn't hear Anakin the first time. I heard him the other two times. For some weird reason, I didn't hear Yoda. I only heard Yoda once out of the three times. I think I only heard Luke twice. I heard Qui-Gon, too. I know I should know who all those voices are. They also happen all at once, kind of. And it's just like, eh. You know, they don't really happen all at once, though. I don't mean that they speak at the same time, but it's just like, I, yeah, it's yeah, very... Yeah. Right after each other pretty quickly. Yeah, and some of them do overlap a little bit. But that's what I'm saying, though, is that first theater that I saw it in, mm-hmm. the sound was so clear, it was easy to make out all the voices. The only other fan service type thing, it's, it's actually weird to me, because Luke, as we mentioned, is my favorite character. He's only in the movie for one scene, and almost his entire scene is fan service. But the one thing that I did dorkily like is he raises the X-Wing. Mm-hmm. It was both fan service nostalgia, but it's also the thing he couldn't do in The Empire Strikes Back. I don't like all of the stuff that happened in that scene, but that was probably the last sort of like, okay, that's kind of funny. I see what you did there. I liked that scene. I liked that part, and I love the nostalgia. And I like the look on his face like, yeah, that's right. I can do this. (laughs) But what I don't like about that is if the Force Ghosts can interact with the physical world like that, Where have all these Force Ghosts been when all this stuff's going on? Why haven't they been helping and trying to help, like, stop things? Yes. Why haven't they been doing it? Is he the first one that's able to do that? I don't know. Not to get off track, but in the original script of Return of the Jedi, George Lucas actually had Obi-Wan and Yoda's Force Ghost basically create a Force Shield protecting Luke from the Force Lightning being thrown by Palpatine. So the idea of physicality in the force hmm. ghost was always an idea of his but he scrapped it because it thought he thought it would look stupid it probably would have with it with the movie making technology at that time yeah but yeah the, the idea that he could interact with the physical world makes us like yeah then should all of the force ghosts just came out and kick the crap out of palpatine at the end <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i guess there's only what four force ghosts now that's a whole other argument because it was made, a big deal was made in the other movies that in order for Yoda and Obi-Wan to become Force Ghosts, they had to do this training, this extensive mm-hmm. training. Right. So technically, some of the people who are Force Ghosts shouldn't be. But again, also, in fairness, not to jump ahead, were those Force Ghosts that we heard voices Oh, the speaking? Of? Yeah. No, they're probably Force Echoes. The only ones saying anything that were different than previous things they had said were the ones that were Force Ghosts. Otherwise, it was just repeating things that I already said. Again, we're going to talk about later the, the new Force Powers type thing. So this, it's actually in like video games and stuff. It's called Force Echo, where the Force remembers basically things that have happened there. Okay. And it can echo back. So that's a, that's a Force Power. And when you get into when you're talking about the new Force Powers that are introduced in this, we'll talk about that a little bit more. 
there was obviously a lot more nostalgic fan service in the movie. Those were the highlights for me. Mm-hmm. Were there, were there other fan servicey type moments? I mean, we'll probably get to some of the other ones as we go forward, but was there anything else you want to call out right now? Not necessarily. We can just go ahead and move on. The next thing I have on my short list of good things is some of the Carrie Fisher scenes. Not all. Some of the Carrie Fisher scenes are actually cringeworthy. It's a credit to that they were actually able to do something. I mean, they brought her into the movie with unused footage from The Force Awakens, which is why some of the scenes are really cringeworthy, because they tried to craft a conversation out of stilted pieces of dialogue. Those are kind of cringeworthy. But some of the scenes, especially her death scene, it kind of was a, a nice homage to Carrie Fisher's tragic death to have kind of a funeral scene, so to speak, and a moment of silence scene, and, and Chewbacca just wailing and, that was and awesome. anger. Yeah. That was awesome. That was the most emotional, possibly one of the only emotional points of the movie for me. So some aspects of how Carrie Fisher was integrated, and just to be able to see Princess Leia one last time, especially yeah. since Carrie Fisher tragically died just after The Last Jedi came out. Yeah, I'm really torn on that because I, I liked the respect they were paying to her. But I really feel like they struggled so hard to put it. And even the way they edited her physical appearance in it was very obvious. And I I would have rather they did the CG thing and done it that way than the way that they did it, as far as the movie goes. Strictly because these movies are ones that I love and I watch over and over and over again for the rest of my life, I'll be watching this movie. And yeah, it was nice and it felt nice the first time, but the 30th time I see this movie, those are the scenes that are going to make me not like this movie. I agree. The most painful thing about it is Carrie Fisher is such an expressive actress and the footage that they use, she's very unexpressive. Yeah, they did a good job of writing the dialogue around what the dialogue they had, but because that expression and just the way the lines were delivered don't fit the scenes. Exactly, because if if it was if she was alive, her scenes would have been fucking awesome. Right, because she's just the presence that she brings to the screen is just irrepressible. I did also kind of like I I heard at one point I don't know how accurate it is I'm sure it is that in the scenes where they needed her to move more and they used her daughter as the body double yes her bo- her daughter was the body double so when we don't yeah when she's moving around but you can't see her face that's her daughter yeah i thought that was really nice it was sad in the way because again it reminded you that she tragically died again that's why i said i don't like everything about it but it was respectful and it was a nice way to kind of say goodbye to the yeah. character and the actor And then my last thing on the list of very few good things to say, I don't like all of it, but some aspects of the Han-Kylo scene, we'll talk later about a lot about that scene doesn't make sense, and I don't like some aspects of it, but if I just focus in on just the Han and Kylo, it's one of the only pieces of good storytelling and film craft in the movie for me. Mm -hmm. Because it's a good resonance with The Force Awakens. Part of it is almost completely mirrors The Force Awakens scene. Like when Kylo says, I know what I have to do, but I don't think I have the strength to do it. And Han puts his hand on his cheek. 
in The Force Awakens, that's where he ignites his lightsaber and kills him. In this movie, instead, he turns around and throws it away. So the fact that it was good resonance, plus also the fact that Harrison Ford and Adam Driver are both really good actors. Harrison Ford more so than Adam Driver, but they acted the fuck out of that scene. Yeah. So the acting part of it and the resonance with The Force Awakens... <laughs> I, I like that aspect. I actually think it's the other way around, personally. I don't, okay. I don't think Harrison Ford is really that great of an actor. He's just a good personality. Adam Driver is a great actor. The only thing about that scene that I actually didn't like, and it was just because of the way that I think, right when he threw that lightsaber, I was like, ooh, you're probably going to need that later. <laughs> <laughs> later when he could have used it, I was like, see? See? If you hadn't, if you hadn't thrown it away, I mean... You could have waited to throw it away until you got a new one. Let the past die. Kill it if you have to. One of the other things we wanted to address in this episode is a lot of people who do not like this movie have been saying that The Rise of Skywalker is a retcon of The Last Jedi. Yeah, bullshit. I also mostly call bullshit as well. So you want to take us through some of the key points that people have been making and we can refute or discuss them? I've seen a lot of people making the same points. And in order to prep for this, I went through, it was an article from Collider that said the 10 things that got retconned from Last Jedi. And I went through that. There's a couple that I just thought were so ridiculously forced to make 10 that I just didn't bother. A lot of those lists are like that. Yeah. But so the first one was... The Emperor coming back was just another boss for Kylo to fight. He'd finally gotten rid of Snoke, and then, oh, now there's another boss for me to fight. I think the Emperor coming back looped together the story. Yeah, this comes back to, I don't mean to sound like a word nerd, but part of my argument is semantics. It's like what you just said in a lot of these points, I don't see how they are a retcon. I can see them being something that you don't like. Yeah, But the Emperor coming back isn't a retcon. Like you just said, I think it was maybe not necessary, but it tied together the nine movies. Right. In the whole time, like it set up from the very beginning, even in the prequels, that the Emperor was a puppet master, pulling strings from behind the scenes constantly, yes. and that Snoke was just another one of those puppets fits perfectly in the storyline. I agree. And you I'll, may not like it, but it fits perfectly. It does. Again, it's not a retcon. It's just a different creative decision. The other thing that they could have done is not bring the Emperor truly back. Maybe it was holocron recordings or something else like that. But Kylo just owns being the supreme leader, and the confrontation is between him and Rey, and Rey tries to get him to see the light, and he refuses, and she's forced to kill him. Because a lot of people say, oh, he should have just stayed as the boss. Well, ultimately... That's a boring story It's me. a boring story, you, but you also get to the same point. Ray wins, he dies. Yeah, but I think uh, one of the main parts of the story of this trilogy is Kylo Ren coming back and forth between light and dark and trying to make that decision. Right. I mean, it, it's a rehash of, of it, the redemption of Vader, yeah. but I still I agree with what you said. It would have been boring. It would have been a little bit different, but I don't think it would have made it a better movie, but more important... It's also not a retcon. No, not at all. No. It's just not what you wanted to see happen. Which also comes to the next one was Snoke just being a puppet on a string rather than another big bad guy. I'm like, well, that kind of fits into Sith, too. Yeah. That's all the Sith are. Part of the rule of two is one's the puppet master, one's the puppet. 
Plus, I mean, how can you call that a retcon when we learn very little about Snoot? Yeah, we don't know anything you know, about it. It's not yeah. like he was set up as some big bad guy that we learned a lot about. And we never really got the impression that he was the mastermind. He just happened to be the guy in charge. He was the guy training Kylo Ren. Right. And he was a supreme leader, but we didn't get much from it. Like, yeah. how did he get to be the supreme leader? Yeah, blah, blah, was, blah. What, was he Sith or just dark? Yeah, we don't know. Him, so, yeah. For me, again, it actually comes to a lot of people say that this retcons. For me, it actually explains how did Snoke become the leader of the First Order that spawned off from the Empire? Well, if he's a puppet of the Emperor, he would very easily know how to get into that place. Again, I take a lot of these retcons for me. They're not retconning. They're explaining things that weren't explained. Explaining things that were not explained. Maybe not in the way you wanted them to be Yeah, I think, yeah, people just didn't like the choice. But yeah, it's not a retcon. Here's a big one. Kylo's helmet. His helmet got destroyed. Because, you know, people are always saying, you know, hey, put that childish thing away. Get rid of that mask. It's stupid. And he destroys it. And people are like, oh, yeah, he destroyed the helmet. He's becoming his own person instead of being like Vader. And then when he gets his helmet back, they're like, oh, they're, they're retconning. They're taking away the smashing of the helmet because J.J. just wanted that helmet back. For me, I love the helmet. Actually, I like the helmet a lot. Only thing I don't like about the helmet is somehow he magically starts wearing a turtleneck every time he puts the helmet on. That's another force when the, power. When the helmet's For- off, he's wearing just like a regular t-shirt type thing. He puts the helmet on and then everything's magically covered, but the helmet on the side has no neck covering on it. What the shit kind of... There's a retractable turtleneck yeah, what, built into the helmet or something. Uh, I saw a lot of people being very petty about this because this was more of picking... Yeah. No, not even that. No, no, that's not even where I was going to go with that. Some of the other things, uh, I'm going to come back to that, because that is behind some of the other things that people were saying. But some people were being petty. It's like, oh, J.J. was being petty because that was a prop that he made for The Force Awakens that he really liked, and he was pissed off that Ryan Johnson busted it. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, Even if that's true, it works in the story. He busted it up because he threw a temper tantrum because he was angry because people were always giving him crap about the helmet. Mm-hmm. He had the helmet because he felt like that was who he should be. This movie was about him going, you know what? I'm going to be the person that I wanted to be. And the person that I want to be is the person with this helmet. So yeah. he gets his helmet back. I didn't like the line where Ray says, I can see the cracks in your helmet. That was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I was really hoping at one point, it's like, I really hope they didn't put the helmet back together just so she could say that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, but again... But it I looked cool. It looked cool, but again, I don't understand how you call that a retcon. I don't either. Luke's lightsaber being back with no repair explanation. I don't know how that's a retcon either. I guess what I saw, they were kind of saying that they're just ignoring the fact that it exploded. And yes. Yeah. The very first time I saw it, it's like, wait, isn't that lightsaber just gone? But when I rewatched The Last Jedi before the first time I saw The Rise of Skywalker, at the end of the movie, when she's sitting in the Millennium Falcon with Leia, she is holding in her hands the broken lightsaber with its kyber crystal. She took it with her. And I think what people are missing is they took the explosion as the kyber crystal exploding. Yes. So how did, they, how right. did she rebuild it without the kyber crystal was really what it was getting down to. I think the explosion was just the energy of it being ripped apart. But yet, yeah. again, it goes by really quick, but for me, it looks like the broken saber and the Kyber crystal right. are in her hands. But again, it's not a, a retcon because you can just say they fixed it off screen. Right. There was time in between. Yeah. And I year. guarantee that was priority number one was fix that lightsaber because mm-hmm. she doesn't have another one. 
Right. The only question there is why didn't she just make her own rather than rebuilding that one? But I really wish we, the one she had built at the end of the movie was the one that she was using the entire movie because that one looked like a cooler lightsaber. Now we're going to get into the bigger ones. People keep telling me they know me. No one does. Ray's parentage. So many people were upset. They wanted so badly for Ray to be a nobody because that would change everything in the Star Wars and that you could be a nobody. They're like, well, A, Anakin was a nobody. B, Luke was a nobody. I mean, yeah, he had the parentage there, but he was really just a nobody. My point was like the people who were saying, oh, this is amazing. It's a democratization of the force and you don't have to be from a special family. It's like, I'm sorry, but you don't understand Star Wars. As far as force power is concerned, family means nothing in Star Wars. The Skywalkers are the exception, not the rule. Right. Every Jedi Knight was a nobody who was powerful, and they weren't allowed to have children. If passing force power down genetically was the way that you created more force powerful people, then the Jedi would not only allow but would force their knights to have children. And if that was actually a path, other than maybe not wanting to share power, if that really was a path that you could follow, then the emperor would have been Genghis Khan, and he would have fucked every woman in the empire and had tens of thousands of children and grandchildren. Well, on top of that, Ray's parents didn't have force power. That we know. That we know of. But but again, if they did, he would have been using that person. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. His son was her father. Right. We don't. We don't know. But yeah, you're right. If it mattered, what it skips a generation and didn't skip a generation with Luke and Leia. So yeah, why didn't he just use his son? Right. And he didn't know that she was going to have force power until obviously it was starting to develop. And he's like, oh, that one. Go get that one. Right. So that that's a bunch of crap. And you're just throwing a fit because it didn't go the way you wanted it to. It makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, I have a problem with the, the Palpatine thing, but it has nothing to do with this argument. Like, for me, it's like, her being a nobody, she could have stayed a nobody. Like we said, everyone's been a powerful nobody, for the most part, in the history of Star Wars, except for the Skywalkers. But if you wanted to make her a somebody, in the context of the story that was told, making her a Palpatine was the only mistake, which I'll come back to later. But I'll also argue, is like, it didn't change the plot of this movie at all. She doesn't find out that she's a Palpatine until halfway through the movie. And it doesn't change her motivation at all. She was always going to go to fight the Emperor and stop him. They have her say, oh, I'm going to kill him because he killed my parents. Well, there was the part, like, the whole reason she went to... Act 2. Is that the name where Luke was? Okay. When she went there to cut herself off of the Force, it was like, holy crap, I'm Palpatine's granddaughter. I need to cut myself off to make sure that this can't happen once she found out that that was her parentage. Was so much that her parentage, maybe I don't know, maybe that was what was implied there. I well, mean, she kind of said something to that effect, too. Maybe, yeah, because Luke didn't also have to but say, also like, when, yeah. when Kylo Ren says your parents were nobodies, they traded you off. That's what it looked like in the vision that he saw. <clears throat> yes, exactly. It was a, a sort of a, so from a certain a, point of view type of thing, but I mean, yeah, it was an acceptable explanation. They were pretending to be nobodies because they were on the run and hiding from Palpatine, right? It would have been like, and again, he was seeing it from her mind, yes, and that's what she saw. Right, because she was a little kid, and now all she remembers is flashes of her parents, and they abandoned her. Right. So yeah, there wasn't And he even says when he said that, like, you know as well as I do, because that's, that's how he saw it, was from her perspective. Right. I understand the not liking it, especially for the people who love The Last Jedi for that reason, 
But again, it's not a retcon. Right. I understand getting passionate, and I understand being emotionally driven in it. But I even saw like one person start crying when talking about yeah. this subject because she just wanted so badly for Ray to be nobody. I'm like, I, I don't understand why you're that connected to that idea. If you're that connected to a specific idea in a trilogy when you're not finished with the trilogy, you're just setting yourself up to be disappointed on that. Yeah, that was my fear. Like back when people were talking about The Last Jedi, not knowing anything about what was going to happen in the third movie, it's like, you guys are going to be disappointed no matter what happens. If that's the reason why you're latching on to this character and this idea, you're going to be disappointed no matter what and happens. I, and I'm, this is coming from somebody, I really, really wanted her to be a Kenobi. Again, if you were going to make her a somebody, make her anybody else, a Kenobi would have been cool. If for no other reason, Disney loves cross-media integration. Make her be Kenobi's granddaughter, and then in the Kenobi series, we meet her grandmother, and then in The Mandalorian, we can meet her parents. So, I mean, you could have tied through two series that existed that would have been nice to use, but you just gave up that idea. Again, she didn't have to be somebody. You know what? In the early drafts of The Force Awakens, she was a Skywalker. Ben and her were Mm -hmm. brother-sister, and J.J. Abrams thought that that was too simple. (laughs) <laughs> oddly enough, oddly enough, because he, he even said when people were arguing about the kiss, he was like, you know what? I never saw it as romantic. I didn't want to do the kiss. I felt pressured to have them do the kiss. I always saw them as brother and sister. And he even said in the very, very first draft of The Force Awakens, that's who she was. She was just his sister. And they were just going to be two Skywalkers fighting over how the Skywalker saga ended. And he just thought that that was too simplistic. So, yeah, again, not a retcon. I think the thing about the crying thing, I saw some other people also react very emotionally. I'm not trying to dismiss this angle, but there were some people that saw her as the strong, independent woman who is self-empowered got changed to, I got my power from a man. Again, if you want to read into that, and I'm not going to tell anybody who's reading into it that way that they're wrong, but that was the other thing. She became like a feminist icon because she was her own woman. Her power was her own and came from her. Nope. You're just the granddaughter of a powerful man. I understand that. I can understand that. I I never would have thought from that perspective. Again, like you said, possibly reading into it more than that was there. But I can understand the thought process of reading into that and wanting that. Again, not a retcon, but a great disappointment to people who saw the character that way. The other thing, too, is like, I think Ray's still an awesome character. Yeah. I don't think what happened to her ruined her character. She's still a hero. She's the hero of, of the trilogy. But also, again, the way that Force sensitivity works, she didn't get her power because she's a Palpatine. She's just a Force-sensitive being. Because, again, it doesn't need to come from there. Right. Like, even as I argued earlier, the Skywalkers are the exception, not the rule. Luke and Leia did inherit some Force sensitivity, but they were never as powerful as Anakin. And maybe it was diluted because right. it, it passed down to them. And maybe the only reason it did pass down to them was because of how ridiculously powerful Anakin was. Right. Maybe normally kids are, it's a complete crapshoot and you're not guaranteed to get force powers. But Anakin was so ridiculously powerful. His got some, which is why it would be weird that Palpatine's son wouldn't have gotten something. Right. Whatever. Is that all you want to say about Ray's parentage? I'll come back to the other thing later. But yes, moving on to the next uh, retcon point. All right. Diminishing the character of Rose. So the argument there is that 
in Last Jedi, Rose had become a prominent character and was going to be Finn's love interest, and that this movie pushed her to the side to make room for the originals. My view on it was she loved Finn. Finn never loved her. Agreed. And she was never a prominent player. She went with Finn on a mission. She was still a side character. Agreed. If anything, she got more of a role than she should have in this. Because in the previous movie, she was just watching the escape Escape pods. She was a mechanic. Yeah, she was nothing. And now all of a sudden, she's high up in the resistance just because she saved Finn's life? I never liked Rose's character. And and just to take a step back, I'm not one of those dicks who was cyber-bullied. Kelly Marie Tran was the actress who plays her. I had no problem with an Asian woman having a prominent role in The Last Jedi. And I never would have guessed that people were going to bully her for that. They bullied her for that, and they were mad about, I don't know, guys with small dicks were fucking intimidated that there were too many powerful women in The Last Jedi, I guess. Oh, poor baby. Yeah, they didn't like Leia and Admiral Holdo and Rose and Rey. It's like, I don't know, but yeah, so I, I didn't care. It's like, I oh, represent- They're not strong enough. <laughs> Representation and diversity matters, but it's like it should be a meaningful story. The Casino Planet side quest is why Rose had a big role in The Last Jedi. And that's just a fucking stupid story. Yeah. It has nothing to do with her or her being an Asian woman or the other people who were fucking, oh my God, it's a mixed racial couple, a black man and an Asian woman. Who gives a fuck? I don't care about any of that. My thing is just like, it was a boring and useless story. The only reason she was on that is because she was a mechanic that understood how to plug this thing in and flip the switch the correct way. Right. So she ended up with more screen time and being more a part of the movie than she needed to. Again, it's not a retcon. I understand that if you really loved that character, especially if you are an Asian woman and you're like, great, I'm being represented in a Star Wars movie. Awesome. I can see why you would have an affinity for the character. And you can even argue, you know what? They could have given her more to do in it. She's a mechanic. Instead of having that blobby alien be on the Millennium Falcon, let her be the friggin' resident mechanic on the Millennium Falcon. Then she could have been traveling around yeah, with them. Yeah, I agree with that. They could have given her, a, a, when the Millennium Falcon crash lands, she could have helped fixed it. So they could have actually given her more screen time. It wouldn't have made the movie any better. I probably still wouldn't have noticed her <laughs> as much. So it's like, yeah, it's like, I understand if people really love the character, but it's not a retcon. I'm sorry, but her character just wasn't very important, was made too important in the last movie. And it isn't that big of a deal that she's not in this movie too much. It is kind of disappointing because the other angle that people have argued on is like, are they basically letting the cyber bullies win? They cyber bully the actress off of social media. She's only in this movie for like a minute and 15 seconds. So should she have had a more prominent role so she could have given the finger to everyone who cyberbullied her on social media? Maybe, but is that a good reason to give somebody a significant role? And what would she have done? What would she have added to the story if she was along with? She would have been left on the Falcon to keep it fixed. I mean, she yeah. again, she wouldn't have added anything to the story. So again, no disrespect at all intended to... Kelly Mary Tran. I'd like to see her in more things. Yeah, she's a beautiful woman and a talented actress. Give her something else to do, but she just wasn't that important to the previous movie and didn't need to be in this movie more. And again, the romance with with Finn was not a retcon. I never saw it requited 
in any way by Finn. And you could just explain that way yeah. off screen. I'm not into you. You got caught up in the moment. Sorry about that. We're cool. We're just going to work together. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was obviously in love with Ray. Yeah. Anyways. So, exactly. Yeah. Which is something that actually bothered me when I found out apparently the thing that he was going to tell Ray was that he was force sensitive. It annoyed me that that was one and of the... not, I love you. That was one of the unanswered questions. And it was stupid that that was what it was. Yeah. I agree. Because it, it, it made you think that he was going to say, I because why wouldn't he just admit that? Because like after when Poe is making fun of him, what, you have to wait until Poe's not around? Why couldn't he just say, yeah, I think I'm force sensitive. They made it seem right, like he was right. holding back that I love you, but that wasn't what he was going to say. Right. The next one, Luke catching the lightsaber and saying a Jedi's weapon deserves more respect. Now, this one bothered you. The Quite a bit at first, at least. The first time I saw it, it bothered me. It bothered me that a Force ghost interacted physically. And at first, I had a knee-jerk reaction because I love Luke Skywalker, and I hated his character in The Last Jedi. And he throws the lightsaber over his shoulder and disrespects the weapon in The Last Jedi. So at first, I was like, well, isn't that kind of a reversal? But then the more I thought about it, I was like, you can look at it that way if you want to. Mm Mm-hmm. You also could look at it as a really good joke that Mark Hamill would even do. You should treat this with more respect, meaning like, yeah, I was a dick. Don't be a dick like I did. Right. So it's like, but to say that it was a retcon, I think is, is a bridge too far. I can see I think not it's character like, advancement. It's character advancement because like you said, he did come back at the end of The Last Jedi and help. So he had to change your heart and he did say, I was wrong. So and, this kind of goes into off, off my conversations that we've had throughout yeah. this. So in that moment, when he throws the lightsaber over his shoulder, mm-hmm. at that point, he had completely closed himself off with the Force. He was determined that he was going to be the last Jedi. It was no longer going to be a thing. Right. Throughout the course of that movie, he started training Rey. The temple had been struck by lightning and burnt down. He thought all the Jedi texts had been burned up and everything was gone. And he realized, holy crap. I was wrong. He reconnected with the Force. He did what he could to try to reignite hope. He did everything he could at that point. So him catching that lightsaber and saying that, yeah, it was a joke, a very Mark Hamill joke, like you said, but it was also kind of him going, like, he flat out says, I was wrong. Yes. I realized that I was wrong, and he sits down and explains to her. I, I know that was a lot of people that bothered a lot of people that during that, hey, I was wrong, and the motivational speech that he was giving was so similar to Obi-Wan's. I'm like, well, He's talking to somebody, and he sits down and talks to him. The only thing that was similar... No one would ever think of somebody sitting down and talking to somebody if it hadn't been seen in a previous movie. The only thing that was Obi-Wan-like that I mentioned earlier is like kind of like Obi-Wan's speech. is like, I know you don't want to kill your dad, but you have to go confront Vader again, and if yeah. you can't stop him, you got to kill him. And he was kind of like, yeah, there are some things are stronger than blood. You don't want to have to confront your family, which you're really big into, but you got to do this. The lightsaber thing, it didn't bother me much. Again, the I was wrong, that's a slippery slope for me. I agree with the I was wrong, I shouldn't have quit and gone into hiding. The only thing I don't like is that the speech he gives in The Last Jedi about the Jedi should end, Mm -hmm. it's actually not wrong, but it's not a retcon. They just decided not to run with that idea. Right, but also immediately after that, when he says it's time for, for the Jedi to end... And then Yoda calls the Force lightning to start on the fire. He's like, no, what are you doing? Right. So it was kind of like he might not have even have believed what he was saying right. because he was just in such a dark place. Right. So again, exactly. that's why I mean, again, it's not a retcon. It's just that 
they could have, and, and this is one of the things that Brandon and I both brought up during the speculation of Skywalker episode that we did. We took that and liked it because we thought it was a gateway to being gray. Because in that right. movie, both he rejects the Jedi, Kylo Ren rejects the Sith. So we thought that both Rey and Kylo were going gray, and it was going to be an argument over I wanted that how to best yeah. go gray. But again, bottom line, it's not a retcon. I initially had retconny like feelings because I hated The Last Jedi. The other lightsaber-related thing that did kind of bother me wasn't that he caught that lightsaber, but that he had kept Leia's lightsaber in his hut. Eh, but he had given up and wasn't going to go back. Yeah, but that was Leia's. Yeah, but why did he even keep Leia's lightsaber? Why would it, he? Because it was Leia's. For sentimental reasons? Yeah, sentimental. You know, maybe she'd want it back at some point. But he never intended to see her again. But yeah. Again, also not a retcon. Lots of what ifs. One thing I did catch in the last watching that I didn't catch before, I was watching for it. The whole time that Luke was a Force ghost, Uh he kept his right hand wrapped up in his cloak. So you couldn't see whether or not he had his hand. People need to know, man. Did his hand come back? Was it still a 19-year-old hand on a 50-year-old's body? What's going on with that hand, man? What's going on with that hand? And then the last one here to bring up, and this is something actually me and you went on head-to-head about a lot off mic. Yeah. The resistance is still small. Nobody showed up after Luke's spark of hope. Now, in in that part of Last Jedi, when they call out for hope and nobody shows up, and Poe makes mention, you know, we, we called for help and nobody showed up. You took it as like nobody came to the resistance, like after. on that planet, like at the planet base afterwards. I took it as nobody risked themselves to come save them at that planet. Correct. And so it sounds like a lot of people took it the same way that you did, that nobody came to the resistance. But I, again, I see the resistance as, yeah, they have a base on that planet, but that's not the entire resistance. Their pockets all over the place. Nobody came there because nobody felt like it was worth the risk. Of all of the cells of, coming of, together of, in one place. But they also didn't know what other cells were going to show up. If it was just going to be them against the entire First Order that was there, they were going to get annihilated. It would have been nice to see some of those other cells. I understand that line of thinking now. I, I had a knee-jerk reaction again because it, it annoyed me. Because again, Luke Skywalker is my favorite character. The thing that made me annoyed by it is again... I understand your logical reasoning. I would have liked to have maybe seen some proof of that on the screen in The Rise of Skywalker. The part that irritated me, and I think other people were talking about how at the end of The Last Jedi, Broom Boy on the casino planet, Canto Bight, reenacts Luke's grand sacrifice at Crate. Mm-hmm. So the story of what Luke did spread somewhere mm-hmm. at least. Right. So I thought that that spark of hope that that should have spread through. If we could have seen that he did spread some hope, it just didn't make everyone come together with the resistance. That's Look how many showed up at the end of this movie. But they showed up because Lando flew around the course Because systems. he went around and said, hey, that spark of hope, it all comes down to this. Yeah, now we have something to do with it. Yes. So, so I guess my point is, I can run with your argument and agree with you. I just wish that we could have spent a little bit of time in the rise of skywalker showing where those ships came from because yeah. obviously they were ready to fight you could argue they were ready to fight they just needed to know what's the big risk that's worth taking we got to go take out those ships right. 
I would have liked to have seen where they do? came from. And what did Lando do to get them all together that quickly? Yeah, I mean, because at that point, it's less than eight hours, and he somehow gets flies around and gets everybody to agree to go and go and be there. Dumb thing in my head is like, imagine a typical eight-hour workday. You try to organize an off-site meeting for everybody that you work with. Can you actually get everyone to coordinate to go <laughs> someplace in less than eight hours? So Lando and Chewie somehow... But again, it was unshown and unseen, but I can, right. I can buy the logical argument of said... We had that intel that said that the, there's a threat on Exegol, and if we don't stop it, we're fucked. And hey, you guys were inspired by Luke, but you were waiting for a reason to come out of hiding and go do something. And they saw this is it. And they saw the risk, right? Because they had the one the, sh- the one ship came out and blew up the planet. And they're like, yes. Oh, you mean there's a bunch of those? Yes. And if we don't, that's why. Again, if if this dedicated a few minutes of showing us a little bit more of that, I would have been more comfortable with it. Yeah. But first time seeing the movie, I was like, eh, that's that's not right. But again, after having seen it a couple of more times and thinking about it more, not a retcon. But the reason I know it's not a retcon is because I hated The Last Jedi. So if it actually did retcon The Last Jedi, I would probably like it. <laughs> That concludes part one of our three-part series about the third movie in the third Star Wars trilogy. Tune in next week for part two. As Mike alluded to earlier, he'll be providing the counterpoint on most of the things that I found bad about The Rise of Skywalker. I don't know what all this trouble is about, but I'm sure it must be your fault. Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at Fanboy and Hater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.